as many of you are regular worshippers will know, and I apologise for mentioning it again, and I'll do my best never ever to say anything more about it, which is a great promise. Uh, some nine months ago, I had an accident while salmon fishing uh, near the Falls of Fuke, near the River Dee, a place called Bankery. I slipped on a rock and smashed my left elbow to pieces. You couldn't have done a better job if you'd taken a hammer to it, said the consultant, when he looked at the x-ray. Thankfully, after some five hours of repair, it was put back together again with wires and screws. Uh, those with uh, nervous dispositions look away at this point. And I was discharged from hospital some ten days later. And told to make an appointment when I got back to Edinburgh, I had a letter to go to the neural infirmary to the physiotherapy department. Now, I was a bit apprehensive about this in all honesty because the consultant said they were really called physioterrorists. Those were his words and his comment was, if you like them, they're not doing a good job. So I turned up at the New Royal and I discovered I need not have worried. For after some massage to relax my muscles, Teresa, my very nice physiotherapist, told me there is not much I can do for you at the moment. And she explained that although my elbow was fixed, the nerves that controlled my wrist and then my hand had been damaged. And they would need to regenerate from my elbow to my hand. And the process of regeneration was, and I got my ruler out with some alarm, one millimetre per day. Until the nerve regenerated, my wrist just remained like this. And no matter what I did, how I exercised, there was nothing I could do about it until the regeneration took place. And sure enough, around seven months later, I suddenly discovered that I was able to move my wrist again. And now, and only now, can I begin to exercise and strengthen it. A long slow and hard process to restore this arm back to the former glory so that it matches this one. I won't undo my sleeves to show you the difference in size of the two. So, to those who keep asking me, yes, I am finally back at the Roxburgh gym over the way exercising. And you may think this is not a very good picture, but the blurring is because of the speed at which my... arm is working. Now, I didn't just tell you this so I don't have to tell everybody when they ask me at the door. I have a point. Today, in our New Testament series, this letter written to the Christians in Philippi, which we've entitled, Shining Like Stars, the writer Paul deals with a similar topic, but relating to our spiritual health. I've called it a spiritual workout. For reasons which will become obvious, as we turn to just the two verses that we're going to focus on this morning. So, turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians 2, and we're just going to look at these two verses together. These are wonderful verses. 
if you can understand, and I can with the Holy Spirit's help, what they mean and how we apply them, will make an enormous difference to your life. It's page 1179. If you've not got a Bible, I see folk come, just reach over and ask someone to pass them down the front here and wherever. Uh, anyone got spare Bibles around? Thank you, that's good. So we continue what we've been studying. We, this is actually number 12 in our series so far. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, notice the two highlighted phrases. Work out what we must do. Work in what God is doing. And it would be no exaggeration to say that the key to understanding what it means to become a Christian and then to be the Christian you've become lies in the vitally important connection between these two phrases and activities. Let me put it like this simply. You work out for or because God works in you. I could not work out on my elbow until the nerves in my hand had been regenerated and, this is probably inaccurate medically, but light was throwing uh, through them to activate my wrist. Until that happened, no matter what I did, it was a complete waste of time. It's a very frustrating thing that's ever happened to you. You, you, Your brain says, I want to move my wrist like that. And your brain sends a signal and nothing happens. In a similar way, you cannot work out what Paul calls your salvation, unless God works in you. Unless there is spiritual life, as it were, coursing through your veins. But, now that the nerve has been regenerated, it is vital for the health and strength of my arm that I work out. If I leave it as it is, this arm will remain flabby and weak. The muscles will continue to be atrophied. And in a similar way, if God is at work in you, then it is vitally important for your spiritual health that you work out. If God is at work in you, then you must work out. Now, understanding that, as I've already said, is absolutely fundamental and vital to becoming a Christian, and to being the Christian you've become. So try and stay with me as we look at these two aspects and these two verses. Verse 12 talks about what it means to work out your salvation and verse 13 talks about what it means for God to work in you. This is pretty straightforward. It's here in the text. That's why you need the Bible in front of you to make sure I'm telling you what's there rather than what I want to be there. So first of all then, let's look first of all at verse 12. Work out what we must do. You'll see that the sentence begins with a little connecting word which is translated here, therefore. So, one writer translates it, well then, 
In other words, he's applying something that has already been talked about. Although this may be a new section in our Bibles, of course, for those who don't know, the Bibles were never written like this. When Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapters, no verse headings. He just wrote a letter. This just flows on. But there is a close connection with what has gone before. Therefore, well then, in fact, the section begins back at chapter 1, verse 27. Where Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Therefore, well then, if you are to practice what you preach by conducting yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel, then you need to work out your salvation. But there is a closer connection with what has just gone before that we looked at last week. If you are to follow the example of Christ, look at the verses before, verses 5 to 8, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The point is, you are to follow that example. Now, you might say, how can I do it? How can I live a life that is worthy of the gospel? How can I follow the example of Jesus? Here's the conclusion. Therefore, if you are to practice what you preach, if you are to follow the example of Jesus Christ, then you must continue to work out your salvation. Notice, however, before we move to this, what Paul does not say. He does not say, as the Jerusalem Bible translation puts it, inaccurately, wrongly, he does not say, work for your salvation. There is nothing you can do to work for your salvation, to put you right with God, to save you from your sin. It is entirely through God's grace. Paul puts this in another of his letters to the Christians in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not, notice the words, not by works, so that no one may boast. No, it is not work for your salvation, it is work out your salvation. And the very next word in Ephesians 2, verse 10, says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what for? To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Martin Luther put it this way, Good works don't make a good man, but a good man does good works. We do those good works by working out our salvation. Now the important point to notice here is this is not something that just happens automatically or passively once you become a Christian. One of the best commentaries I've recommended before in Philippians by Peter O'Brien he makes this point. Listen to what he says. Paul has in mind here a continuous, sustained and strenuous effort which is elsewhere described under the imagery of a pursuit, a following after, a pressing on, a contest, a fight or a race. In other words, it is not easy being a Christian. It is not easy living the Christian life. It is not easy living against the tide. It is not easy living a life that is worthy of the gospel. 
It is not easy imitating the example of Jesus Christ. It is not easy to be humble and get along with the other Christians in your church. It is not easy to consider others better than yourself. It is not easy to look out for the interests of others rather than your own. All the things that he's talked about already. Such things don't come naturally. They only come supernaturally. Through God working in you by His Spirit because God is at work in you. But, if God is at work in us, then we must strenuously, actively, continuously cooperate with the work of His Spirit by working out our salvation. So you may ask, there's a theory, how do you do it in practice? And there are two keys in this verse which tell us Two keys, how to work out your salvation. Two words I'm going to leave with you, alright? Here's the first one. Obedience. Look what he says again in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is what he says. Paul says, you Philippians have always obeyed. Notice there is no object. Who have they obeyed? Is it Paul that they've always obeyed? Or is it God that they've always obeyed? What's he talking about here? Well, we don't know. And in a sense, it doesn't matter because Paul is not talking about general obedience. You Corinthians have always done what I told you to do. He's talking about the gospel that he brought to their city. The good news of Jesus Christ, which they have always obeyed. They first obeyed it when Paul on this missionary journey, and we looked at it at the beginning of our series, it's recorded in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 16, they obeyed from the beginning. Paul turned up in the city with a little band of companions and he went to preach down by the river and then he met in the home of one of the women who became a Christian and in the city they preached the good news and they said, God demands that you turn from your sin, what the Bible calls repentance, and you put your faith in Jesus, God's Son, whom he raised from the dead, the one who died for your sin. Now when you hear that, you must repent. You have a choice. You either say, not interested, no way. Or you say, I will obey. I will respond in obedience. And that's what these Christians in Philippi did. They turned in faith to Jesus, God's Son who had died for their sin, whom God had now exalted, we just read, to the highest place, given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. They had bowed the knee, they had confessed that Jesus is Lord. They had obeyed. Now, unless at some point in your life you have done that, you will never work out your salvation because you have no salvation to work out. Let me say it again, in case you weren't listening. Unless at some point you have obeyed the gospel in repentance and faith, you will never work out your salvation because you have no salvation to work out. You must begin by obeying the gospel. But not only that, you continue as you began in obedience to God. When you become a Christian, you're in a new relationship with God and you discover there are all sorts of things that God says are good for you and there's lots of things He says are bad for you. And as you read His Word... As you read it, you say, yes, I'll obey that. Jesus put it like this, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And Paul says, looking back on these Christians in Philippi, he says, you've always obeyed, continued obedience. Now the sure sign 
that a person is working out his salvation or her salvation is continued obedience to all that God asks you to do. And as we'll see, as you respond in obedience, so God's power that is at work in you is magnified in you to enable you to obey Him more. And God begins this work in us and He wants to complete it. We saw that right in the first chapter. Paul says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, what? That he who began a good work in you, see the same phrase? Will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a challenge for us. Many of us would claim this morning to be Christians. Many of us maybe even look back to the day and moment when you put your faith in Jesus and you turn from your sin. Or that period in your life when you obeyed the Gospel. Now here's the challenge. Am I growing as a Christian? Am I becoming stronger in my faith? Am I working out my salvation? Is God working in me, transforming me, making me more like Jesus? Could you hang a sign round your neck saying, work in progress? Or is it ground to a halt? We're delighted that the building work at Nidria that we support and in partnership with has actually now begun. Uh, the one or two pictures down in the lounge and uh, we're just praying it will carry on until completion. But there are all things, all sorts of things that could stop the work that cause it to halt. Bad weather, shortage of materials, We've got a problem at the moment with vandalism and they've got a security officer in there to ensure that the work continues. But there is one sure thing which will halt your progress as a Christian and cause your spiritual muscles to begin to waste away and that is disobedience. And if so, what is the particular issue you are facing this morning as a Christian which you refuse to obey. Might be something quite small. Maybe something very big in your life. And you know that God has said to you, this is what you must do. You can actually be sitting here this morning and you can say, you're absolutely right and God challenged me about it two years ago and I refuse to obey and I'll guarantee this, you've become a flabby, weak Christian ever since. doesn't mean you don't come to Charlotte Chapel and sing the songs with everybody else. Doesn't mean you don't say the right things. You can even pray. But your spiritual strength is diminished because at some point you've refused to obey something God has challenged you about. And you may say, well, you're right, but what God is asking me is very hard and costly. But that is your point. The point. Working out your salvation involves a continuous strained and strenuous effort. Given my natural inclination, I would resign my gym membership tomorrow. And the fact that everybody keeps asking me, are you still going with us? That is the challenge. But even if you have obeyed up till now, let's say 
as honestly as you can before God this morning, and only God knows your heart, not the person next to you, even the closest person. But let's say up to this point, you say, as far as I can tell, I'm in obedience to God's will, I'm doing all that God asks me. There's nothing, there's nothing that God could bring up on the screen if he wanted to that would say there's that issue that you're not obeying God. Even if that's the case, you cannot rest on your laurels. Why? Because there are always fresh challenges to obedience that lie ahead of you. Even today. Even this week. There may come some issue in your life and God speaks to you about something you need to put right or something you fail to do that you need to do. It may involve your career, your relationships, uh, your home, your family, whatever it might be. And the challenge is, the crisis point is, what are you going to do at that point? Okay, says Paul to the Philippians. You've always obeyed in the past, but now I want you to obey in the present. By putting things that are right, wrong, that are wrong, right in this church. There's two women in this church with the wonderful names of Euodia and Syntyche. So they're wonderful names because I've never met many who've adopted these names, even from the Bible, but... All they're known for is that they were fellow workers with Paul. They were really committed Christians. They'd worked with Paul in the gospel, but these two women weren't getting on. Paul says in chapter 4, you need to put that right. They need to work out their salvation by working out their relationships. In fact, there are some who think that all these two verses are really directed, not just to the individual, but primarily to the whole congregation in Philippi, that they need to work out their salvation by working out at their relationships. Well, some Christians who take the easy option, they say, I'm not going to get involved, I've been hurt in the past, I'm just going to opt out. And I'll, be a, I'll come to church, but that's as far as it goes, I don't want anything more. It's hard work being a Christian in relationship with other Christians, but it's working out your salvation. And whatever the case, and it may include both community and personal aspects, the key is obedience, Christ-like obedience. When you obey, you are following Jesus who always obeys. Did you see the connecting theme? There's actually the same verb used here in these verses that was in the preceding hymn. Verses 5 to 8. Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Same word. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it easy for Jesus to obey? Was it just sort of natural to him? Did he just passively go along with everything the Father asked him? I tell you, to be obedient to death, even death on the cross, was the hardest and costliest thing. You and I will never understand. The book of Hebrews said he sweat as it were, he wrestled. Sweat, the Gospels say in the book of Hebrews, he sweat. He wrestled like great drops of blood as he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Father's will. And the book of Hebrews remarkably says, these are remarkable verses. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, if you're a Christian, sometimes you'll have thought and pondered on What does he mean? He says, although he was a son, Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation What for all who obey him. You say, you mean Jesus was disobedient and he had to learn disobedience? You mean he was imperfect and he had to become perfect? Not at all. 
but he learned obedience because he had to face the challenge of whether he would obey or not. And in obeying, he perfected the Father's will. He brought it to completion so that you and I could be saved. And how are you saved? What's there in the verse? All those who obey him. So in obedience, we work out our salvations. We follow Jesus. That's the first key in these verses. Now the second one, we also see there, and it's what I think we could call reverence. Look what he says again. He says, you Philippians, and all of us if we're Christians, work out your salvation, continue to work out your salvation, with fear and trembling. The word fear carries a whole range of meaning. Alarm, fright, dismay, respect, reverence. The word trembling means what it says on the tin. Quivering from fear. But you may ask, fear and trembling of what? In many situations in life, we obey someone or do something because of those who are watching us and we're afraid what will happen if we don't. If they saw us disobeying orders, might be a boss. We're afraid we'll get the sack if he sees us disobeying orders. Or it might be someone we respect and we'd be ashamed if they saw us doing something that we shouldn't be doing. But maybe for on our own it's a completely different thing. So is Paul saying that the Christians in Philippi should obey him because they're afraid of him? What he might say or do if they don't do what he says or writes? Is he talking about fear and trembling before other people? of himself or even the fellow Christians in the church in Philippi. Now, that kind of fear can be a factor. But it's not the focus here. That's not the real reason for fear and trembling. Not before human beings. In fact, Paul writes, their obedience, he says, your obedience shouldn't depend on whether I'm there with you or not. In fact, he says, you should obey not only in my presence, but even more when I'm not there shouldn't make any difference whether he's there or not. shouldn't make any difference to my Christian obedience whether you happen to see what I'm doing, whether I do it in private. But our prime motivation for obedience is not what others think or see, but what the one who sees all things, the ever-seeing one, God himself, sees and thinks. If we're Christians, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. These two little words, this phrase, fear and trembling, occurs in the Hebrew form in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. And it nearly always expresses the reaction of people when they see something that God is doing that is very powerful out of their normal experience. It's usually used as a reaction to unbelievers to the mighty works of God. That they pause in fear and trembling before such a God. So what is the mighty work of God which should cause us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Amazingly, it is not some big miracle like the parting of the Red Sea which we learn in Exodus 15:16, caused terror and dread, the same words, to fall on the Egyptians. No, look at our verse. It is fear and trembling before what God is doing in us. God's mighty activity in us. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because for it is God who works in you. That is why Paul in other parts of the New Testament urges Christians, 
if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, just be careful. Respond with fear and trembling. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by sin. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't quench the Spirit by unbelief and unwillingness to cooperate with what He's doing in us. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 No, if God is at work in you by His Spirit, that is a fearful thing and we should tread carefully. Danger. God at work. So we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in us. Again, let me ask you a question as I ask of myself. If we had a sign around our neck saying, Danger, God at work. I'm a Christian. Watch out, God is at work in me. Would we get sued by the Advertising Standards Agency? So, we turn from verse 12, work out, and a little more briefly, glad to note to verse 13, the other side of the coin, work in what God is doing in our lives. Look again at the phrase, for it is God who is at work in you. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you can almost read that and think, well, what on earth can you say about that? We all know that. That's what we sing, King of Kings, Majesty, God of Heaven living in me. Wonderful. But it is indeed a remarkable thing, if you'd stop to think about it a moment. King of kings, majesty, God of heaven, living in me. That is an incredible claim, is it not? You know, in the Old Testament, in the old co- under the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God came upon individuals, a king, a priest, a prophet, for a limited period to enable them to carry out a God-given purpose. But in the New Testament, in this new and greater covenant and agreement God has made with people, His Holy Spirit is poured out upon all people into all believers for all time. You may remember that began on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were waiting in the upper room, 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and they went out into the streets proclaiming the wonderful works of God. And the people gathered around and asked, What's happening? And the Apostle Peter stood up and explained. He said, we're not drunk. It's too early in the morning. Bars aren't open yet. He said, this is the gift of the Spirit. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, this is a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said would happen. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. In other words, he says, regardless of your background, man or woman, young or old. And at the end of it, He tells the people what they should do in response to his message, which concludes with the message about who Jesus is. This is what he says. It's what we thought about already. This gift of the Spirit, he says, is offered to all on repentance and faith. Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children for all who were far off, not just Jews, people like us. 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. So in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, Paul prays that they may understand God's power is at work in them. The same power by which he raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest place. His incomparably great power, he says, for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1, 19-20. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in those who, in repentance and faith, trust in Christ, they receive the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God is at work in you. Actively and continually. Well, is he? Is that an exaggerated claim? if I make it of myself or you make it of yourself as a Christian. What are the results? How can you tell? Well, there are all sorts of different aspects the New Testament talks about. Fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. But here Paul focuses on two general signs which show whether God is at work in you by His Spirit. And what he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for... It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The two results are that you will to will and to act according to God's good purpose. The New Living Translation puts it, God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. These are the two signs. The Good News Bible puts it well. God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. Notice the order. The desire and the power, willing and able. We need to start with a willingness, the desire. The sure sign that God is at work in a person's life by his spirit is that it changes their inclinations. He creates within you a desire to please God. A willingness to obey what it says in his word. Now, before that, you'll discover that people don't like what God says in his word. It may be politically incorrect. It may be morally demanding. People say, away with that kind of thing. One of the sure signs when you become a Christian, you begin to read the New Testament and say, that's what I want to do. That's what pleases God. That's what will make me more like Jesus. It changes your desires. You cannot make people do that. When I was young, we used to sing a chorus, some of the older folk will remember it, and I won't sing the song for you, but we used to sing a song called, "'Twas a glad day when I was born again. And the first verse said, "'The things I used to do, I do them no more.'" Why? Because there's a change of inclination. You're eager to obey God's commands. In his first letter, the Apostle John says, "'This is love for God, to obey His commands.'" Then he adds, and his commands are not burdensome. The authorised version says, his commands are not grievous. Now if you find God's commands burdensome, and you think, I wish God hadn't said that and asked me to do that, then I wonder whether God's Spirit is really at work in you. Do you love God's commands? Do you have within your heart, is there a Spirit-placed desire within your heart to do what pleases him, no matter what your friends think, no matter how they behave, no matter what society says. 
Oh, what do... These things are unreasonable, restrictive. No. As you obey God, you want to obey Him more. And what Paul writes to Christians in Rome, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It will change your thinking. Then you'll be able to test and approve and experience, that means, what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. So, how are you getting on with God's will in your life? Whatever God is asking you to do and to obey, you say, this is good. This is pleasing. This is just perfect for me. God knows best and I'm just happy to follow Him no matter what it costs me. The second sign that follows, for we need it, is not just the desire to do what's right, but the power to do it, the ability to act. And the proof that God is at work in this is that we begin to live a life that is pleasing to Him. And to put it in New Testament terms, we begin to display what Paul describes in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now again, such changes are not natural, but supernatural. It's a sign that God is at work in your life. And I simply say this, if a person claims to be a Christian, if a person looks back and says, I made a commitment to follow Christ and I'm obeying Him, if there are no such signs of the fruit of the Spirit, no changes, then you conclude that there is no Spirit at work in that person, no Holy Spirit at work in that person. Now that doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't fall from time to time. But rather when you do, you feel bad about it, you put it right, and there is a process at work. You continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. The more you work out, the more God works in. And the more God works in, the more you want to work out. And the more you work out, well, you've got the point, haven't you? It's a transforming experience. So is God at work in you. Are there changes in your life since you made a profession of Christian obedience? Are you more like Jesus? You see, this is God's ultimate intention for all of us. He says, work out your salvation, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure, or his good purpose in the NIV here. See, it's a wonderful thing. If God has called you into fellowship with himself, if you are a Christian... God has a long-term project for your life. You didn't know it, but it began before eternity began. In eternity, before time began. And God has got a plan that will conclude in eternity. He will finish the good work He began in you. It's wonderful words in Romans 8. Whenever you feel depressed, read Romans 8, alright? For God, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That's God's project, to make you like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What a project, what a plan. No wonder he goes on to exclaim, well then, should we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or let me put it another way, if God is at work in us, who can be against us? 
a wonderful thing, isn't it? Okay, we're almost finished. Very briefly. And you can work this for yourself, work it out, but I need to emphasize it. Two final challenges. Number one, is God at work in you? Notice that Paul addresses this to my dear friends. Not a very good translation, but it's probably as good as you can get in English. The Greek word is agapeto, and it's from God, the special word of God's love, agape. And it means the ones who have experienced God's love, which they share with one another. He's writing to people who have experienced God's love. He's writing to fellow Christians. But unless you're a Christian, unless you've experienced God's love, then God is not at work in you. The Bible puts it, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And unless God is at work in you by His Spirit, there is no way you can work out your salvation. It is as pointless as me trying to exercise nine months ago to raise my wrist. You cannot do it. You say, how do I do it? Well, do what Peter said. Repent. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Confess Him as your Lord. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the amazing thing about becoming a Christian. God forgives the past. He assures you of a hope for the future. And then He puts His Spirit within you to help you to be what you could never be naturally, but only supernaturally. God comes to live within you and work in you by His Spirit. He begins to energize your arm that is withered. That's a long-term project. Maybe longer than a millimetre a day, but God is going to get there in the end. Because He's begun a good work, He'll complete it. So I simply ask you this morning, maybe you need for the first time just to turn from your sin. Maybe you know enough now. You've maybe come to Christianity Explored, Discipleship Explored. Maybe you've been thinking about the Christian faith. And I simply say to you, there comes a point where you have to obey. You step out and you say, I will obey this. I will put my trust in Christ. I will turn from my sin. I will trust in Jesus. And when you do, God has made a promise. And as Robert said to the kids, he always keeps his promises. They'll give you a spirit and they'll begin to work in you. That's the first thing. But if you are a Christian and God is at work in you, the second challenge is obvious. Are you working out your salvation? Are you cooperating with the work of the Spirit of God in you? Are you availing yourself of that power that is at work in those who believe? Are you asking God by His Spirit to make you willing and able to please Him? Or are you resisting His Spirit, grieving His Spirit by some disobedience, which has caused your spiritual health to grind to a halt? Unless you put this right, you will make, never make any progress. Can I say to those who are regular worshippers in Charlotte Chapel, some of you have been here for many years, longer than I have. See Brian here this morning, way back from the 60s. You just think of the number of sermons you've heard from this pulpit. Unless you obey the Word of God, it will have no effect on you. And I put it politely, you'll become a fat Christian, but not a fit Christian. Oh, your head is stuffed full of knowledge. You could probably explain these verses better than I can. But unless you put it into practice, you'll never become a fit Christian. You'll be a fat Christian. God wants you to be a fit Christian. Maybe you've just grown careless and apathetic and you're drifting this morning as a Christian. You've given up the fight. 
Maybe you've hit the wall in the marathon, you know, and you just really can't go any further. Maybe some big blow has come in your life that has, has just knocked you back, and you think, I've had enough of this, I'm going to just sit out for a time. The great danger as Christians is, I've met people who've said they're going to sit out for a time, and it turns out to be a very long time. Years. Disobedient to God. Flabby Christians. Don't want to get involved with other Christians. Don't want to serve God. Oh, happy to come to church. I'll go to another one. It offers something better. Not committed. Careless. You've given the fight, up the fight. You've abandoned the race. I simply say to you today, maybe the day, today is the day to start again. Take out the joggers and trainers. Get back to the gym. And start a new, a spiritual workout. When you do, God will begin to work in you again. New life, a new hope. Let's pray together.